Hey, welcome back to Tunes Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Harold. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, today, we got Mike Reagan in the house. What up, Mike? What up? Yo, hey, real quick, though, we'll give a shout out to Mint Apparel, top of the hour. Mint Apparel has what you need if you're looking for a local shop to do screen printing, embroidery, heat press vinyl. They can even take care of your branding and logo design needs. Check them out at mintapparel.com. That's M-E-N-T apparel.com or on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also request a quote by emailing them directly at info at mintapparel.com. We got Mike on the show today. Uh, it was a mutual connection through Guy Moon, right? Yeah, the man, the myth, the moon man. How did you meet Guy? Guy and I did uh, uh, a couple stints in Leavenworth uh, together. We uh, we served time together. Uh, <laughs> I lift the weights. Uh, he spotted yeah, you. He's, man, that guy, he doesn't look it, but man, he can bench press uh, like with the rest of them. So um, he really <laughs> protected my ass in there. I got to say. I, so Guy, if you're listening, Literally. Dude, thank you so much for protecting my ass. <laughs> no. Uh, so what happened? So, well, let's see. I met Guy... Um, so years back, like 2006, I met him through, I think through Bob Boyle, um, because, um, I was working on Bob's. So my first television show was, uh, Bob's, uh, wow, wow, Wubsy show. And, um, okay. Right on. on like Nickelodeon and, and Nick Jr. and stuff. And, and, uh, and so it was my first show. So. I was, you know, I was writing music. Okay. But I, but the speed was totally taking me for a loop. And I was like, how am I going to do, you know, this much music every week, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and he was like, you should, you should call guy, you know, guys cool. And, and he, I'm sure he'd be, you know, be willing to like, just tell you, you know, give you some tips or tricks, whatever. And I think, I think Bob told me that because I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> So, <laughs> damn. So, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd roll in with, uh, you know, with, with bags under my eyes and, uh, he'd be like, oh man, you should, uh, you should call Guy Moon. And so I did. And <clears throat> Guy was just so super cool, man. He had me come over and, you know, I showed him some of the show and, and, uh, I was like, you know, he was, he was just kind of giving me his, his tutorial on how he handles, uh, Fairly Odd Parents and the other 20 shows he was doing at the same time. And, uh, he was just a super cool guy and a total brother. And, and, and after connecting with him, then I started getting really heavily into macros on, uh, on the computer. He really inspired me and taught me to like, think, uh, about how I can minimize steps. So he has all these really cool tricks where, you know, he hits a button on an iPad or he does a little key command or something and you watch his computer just go zip, zap, zip, zap, zap like doing like, you know, three, four or five things at one time. And I just loved that. And it got me thinking about how I can, can do the same thing. And since then, it's just been this journey of, uh, you know, and a friendship with Guy and, and a journey of, of sharing information. And like, you know, I, I come up with some geeky thing that I think is really cool on an iPad or something. And uh, we'll, you know, he'll come over here or I'll go over to his place and we'll just geek out for a minute and, and uh, and we just end up geeking out and laughing. That's like our, our two main things. And sushi. <laughs> that's our that's our <laughs> those are our uh, those are our go tos when we when we hang out. But that's yeah, that's essentially how we met. Yeah, man. Guy is a cool guy. Guy is a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he gets that a lot. Uh, no, nah, he's a cool dude, man. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if he talked to you a lot at all about how like I first got to talk to him, but it was just funny because like. It was literally like a straight up cold email. Like oh, right. I emailed his like wet, like went on his website, like the contact me or whatever. And right. I was just like, Hey dude, this is like the thing that I'm doing. And I don't know if you're down or if you've been on a podcast right. and you know, it was, it was pretty tight. He ended up being down and it was funny because like he ended up putting me in touch with Butch Hartman. Oh, that's um, cool. but, uh, when I talked to Butch, he was just like, man, I don't know how you got guy moon before I did because <laughs> guy did my show first and then he did. Uh, and then he did butches. So I was like, dude, that's crazy. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> cool guy though, yeah, dude, for sure. I can't, I can't, I can't help but say, it. I can't help but use his own name to describe I, him. I dig him. He's, he's super cool, bro. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's just, it, you know, I see that, I see this a lot. We've, a lot of the composers that we've been able to have on and interview mm-hmm. and talk to about like their process and their background and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just like starts off with such this profound love of music. So I want to talk to you about like, you know, some of your early influences. What, what was the kind of music you were into growing up and like what, what stuck out to you from whenever you were a kid and stuff? Um, okay. So it started with Disney records, like children's Disney records when I was a kid. So my sister and I had this little tiny, you know, like portable record player with a tiny speaker in it, you know, and we would just play those records all day. And I like, you know, it'd be like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and it would be like they'd sing hi ho and I'd go run tramping around the house, you know, march around the house singing. I just I just always loved music to um, to some crazy degree where some people could listen to music at, at any age and go, oh, it's a cool song. And they maybe sing along and then they OK, now let's go outside. And I I think I was much more. I don't know, just kind of taken by uh, just the sound of of uh, sound waves moving out of a speaker into the air and then affecting me in a certain way. So I just I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so, you know, so early on, like Disney Records and then, um, uh, gosh, uh, Beatles. My mom has the red out al- the red album, the double album. That's all like the Beatles, like the compilation of like all their hits. So I, right. I wore that thing out. And then uh, but then also, you know, I'm a 70s kid. So uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. <clears throat> um, so I, I just loved the Bee Gees. I loved ABBA. Um, I loved I still love I love all these still. But I, John Denver has a really special place in my heart. Um, I grew up with the, the Back Home Again. I think that's what it's called. Back Home Again record. And um, and even a little Barry Manilow, I I have to say it because those are great songs. <laughs> those are great, right those on, are brother, great, right on. Great songs. So you know, um, <laughs> uh, and then Chuck Mangione, and then um, and then you know, then started getting into my own and listening to more pop records and and radio. Um, I didn't really start buying records till much later because I just didn't have any money to run to warehouse or Sam Goody or tower and buy records back then. So it was just, it was a lot of radio airplay. And, um, and then in junior high, I met Abe Laboreal jr. And we became really great friends and his family became a, a big influence in my life. So, um, for anyone who's not familiar with Abraham Laboreal senior, um, he's a world-renowned bass player who's played on everybody's record from Paul Simon to Michael Jackson to, I mean, literally every, if you Jesus. just look him up, it, he's, he's played on everything. And, and, uh, so I remember this is a great story. So Abe Jr. Ju- okay. And then if you don't know Abe Jr., Abe Jr. plays drums for McCartney, Sting, Clapton, and a ton of other, uh, producers, uh, you know, records and, and, and tours and things. And, uh, very cool. And so I remember meeting him in junior high and, uh, asking him like he was wearing a baked potatoes t-shirt. So out here in Los Angeles, there's a famous club called the baked potato famous jazz club. And it's a, it's a big spud potato character on the front of Abe junior shirt. And we're in seventh grade and I'm like, man, what is that from? That's really cool. And he goes, Oh, it's from this club that my, my dad works at. So as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, your dad, you know, he works at a club. So he's either, I don't know, a promoter or he's a manager or he's the owner or I don't know what. And I go, oh, so what do you mean? Like he he's a what does he do there? He goes, oh, he play he plays bass. He, he he just plays plays at that club. And I go, oh, that's cool. What does he what does he do for a living? Because <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand that you could play bass and make money at it. I just thought, hey, I play guitar right on, for yeah. fun, man. You know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he goes, he's like, no, he, he plays bass, a professional bass player. I'm like, oh, really? And he goes, he, I'm like, well, how, how does that work? And so it opened up this door of, of, of knowledge and c- like a complete world paradigm shift of, of what I knew 
to what was out there, you know. And um, right on, man. So, That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then I started following. So then, and he had a band called Koinonia, a senior. And so my friends and I would go, uh, go see him play at clubs and stuff. And you gotta, you have to look up Abraham Laboreal bass. Just look up Abraham Laboreal bass solo, and look at what I was exposed to, having no knowledge, very little knowledge about music, and and not a lot of knowledge about how to make a living in music. And uh, you'll you'll get why it it my world turned upside down and they just became like a guiding force for me uh leading me to wonderful opportunities with studying and meeting other musicians and studying with other musicians and and convincing me not to quit when I thought that I sucked (laughs) and stuff (laughs) like that you know uh right on man I I figure that's like probably a big part of it (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah well, that's cool, man. Like, it, it's cool because, like, it, you know, there's definitely, like, you know, you're a composer in your own right. But <clears throat> I really wondered, um, you know, w- with that as a basis, I wondered how that kind of transitioned, uh, helped you transition to sound design. Yeah, I mean, that transitioning into sound design, most sound designers that I know are musicians. So there's this innate kind of feeling of how sound works and where it goes and how loud it should be it's, it's just, it was, it was random and it was out of necessity. I mean, I needed a job and uh, an opportunity presented itself and, and I got a, an opportunity to go do sound design for uh, a new company. So the comp, the, the company was sound deluxe uh, out here in Hollywood. And then they were opening a new division for video games. And so I got my feet wet, um, you know, creating sounds for video games. I think uh, Super Nintendo's, uh, what was it? Pitfall was my first one. And then I did McWarrior two and there was a, there was a bunch of them, but I literally would like drive into work every day and not know if I was going to keep my job because I, I didn't really know how to do sound design. I learned by being thrown into the fire and thinking I'm going to get fired every day. And it was sink or swim, you know? <clears throat> and I had fuck a, man, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. And there was a lot of <clears throat> there were a lot of really wonderful, talented people at Soundalux who really helped me uh, navigate navigate my way into this world that I had no idea about. You know, so yeah, so that it, it was like I had no idea what I was doing, honestly. And I was roaming halls, being a fly on the wall with the sound designers that worked there and the sound editors that worked there just to learn and to ask questions. And I mean, it took me 30 days or more to create one sound effect. And these guys are doing full blown sequences every day, you know? So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a mind game, man. I, I honestly didn't didn't know if I was going to be able to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, I feel you like I, I would have been like, yeah, you're just like ass is just puckered into every day coming in. Like, man, it's gonna be the day that I get the axe. <laughs> so I feel you, dude. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, just because, like, I don't know, kind of being thrust in like that. I mean, it does suck because you're like, fuck. But right, right. at the same time, that's like the best way to learn stuff. Oh, it's just yeah. like being immersed in like sink or swim type shit. Yeah, it is the best. It's and it's that sensei. Uh, it's like that sensei student relationship that you really draw from, you know. Right on, man. Right on. Um, You know, so I was really interested in that, like how that avenue kind of happened with like the sound design, because I I wanted to get your take on it, because a lot of the people that I have on are, you know, they're composers. But I figure you might have like an interesting, uh, you know, story about how that sound design thing happened. So that's pretty insane, dude. Like that sounds like it was definitely like trial by fire. It, it was. And it, and it happened. The, the opportunity happened when I was at Berkeley studying music and I saw this flyer on the wall uh, for a sound designer named Scott Gershon, who's going to be doing a seminar. And, you know, we were used to think, you know, flyers on the wall that said things like John Schofield's going to be in uh, this this room at this time or Pat Metheny's coming to do a clinic or, you know, there we had all those wonderful music opportunities. But then I just saw this thing that was like, I, I, I didn't even know what sound design was. And and Scott Gershon 
uh, came to the school and he played a, a sequence from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, on Laserdisc. <laughs> if you can, if you can, ro- if you can roll back the time <laughs> for that. And he played it without sound. And then he asked us, how would we make the sounds? And it was this scene of the, the huge bumblebee uh, zooming around, you know. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, he's like, how would you make that sound? And I just, I was just, I just felt creative and I felt like I wouldn't know how to do that. So I threw my hand up and he called on me and I, I just said, uh, well, for the wings, for the bumblebee, I would shuffle a deck of playing cards and then I would loop it and then I'd play the root, which would be the normal recording. And then I, because it's a big B, I would play, also play an octave down from that. So you'd hear, you know, the, but you'd also hear at the same time. Right, right, right. And then as it flies around, maybe take faders on a mixing desk and go from left to right or make it go close to you and far away from you and just boost levels and take back levels and things like that. And so he was really impressed with with that. And that's that's when I approached him afterwards. And he said, hey, I'm you know starting a new company. And when are you finished here? And and I'm like, I'm, I'm almost finished. And so I shortly after I packed up and moved back to L.A. where I'm from and then uh, auditioned and got the job. And and that's that that really that moment really set me on my path of where I am now, because had I not met Scott and gotten into sound design, then I wouldn't have met other people who were doing music in the industry as working composers. And then when, then they opened up a music division and I started writing music, then I started like doing both, doing some music and doing some sound. And, and then from there, I really pursued music super heavy. And that's when opportunities for scoring video games like God of War series and Twisted Metal Black and uh, a host of a host of video games that really opened up. But it was, you know, I had to, to kind of prove to the company that I could do music and prove it to my myself because, I, you know, at that point, I'm just out of school by, you know, by six months or something. And here I am saying, yeah, I want to do music, but I really didn't know what I I was. I didn't study film scoring at Berkeley. I just studied um, music synthesis and composition and ear training and guitar and didn't know how it was going to parlay into an actual job or if I was going to be even good enough for it to parlay to anything. Am I going to just move back to L.A. and wait tables or I don't know, you know. So if that hadn't opened up with oh, yeah. Scott. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I would have been because when I came back, the first thing I did was go rent a room at Cal State Northridge with Abe Jr. and a keyboard player from Nashville. Well, he's from here, but he lives in Nashville now. Mike Whitaker and uh, Mike Elizondo, who uh, was a schoolmate of Abe's and mine. Um, and Mike's a fantastic Mike. Uh, Elizondo is also a fantastic musician, bass player. He also wrote a lot of Eminem's hits and, and Dr. Dre, and he's just doing fantastic. And, and, uh, so he was on bass. And so I, I had a little dat machine and I just, my goal coming back to LA was I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing in Berkeley, which was playing in blues pubs, you know, for 50 bucks a night. And, uh, so we recorded a demo and I edited it together on my little sound designer rig on my little Mac two CI computer and made cassette tapes and was ready to go like airdrop them into every club in Los Angeles to go start playing. And, and, but, but before I could really get that off the ground, the sound deluxe uh, opportunity presented itself and, that's where I made a beeline to scoring you know, first sound design for, for video games and film and then uh, scoring for video games and film and television. Man, that's that's badass, dude. Like, yeah. that's definitely like the season opportunity when it comes yeah. type of thing. So that's awesome. <laughs> just say yes. Uh, if somebody asks I wondered you if, if you can do something, yeah. just say yes. And, th- and Scott taught me that. And then figure like, it out. When he was doing the, <laughs> that fucking thing at Berkeley. He just said, hey, this is what I do. People ask me, can you do this? And I go, yes. And then I leave the meeting and I freak out and sweat and then have to figure it out. And even that advice, that the first day I met him, 
make sense to me immediately and and still does. And I still do it because I just I love solving puzzles and figuring things out uh, that I that I don't know how to do. And I know that I will figure it out. I come hell or high water like you could ask me to blend any kind of two, three pieces of music. I love that stuff. It, like create something that doesn't exist. That is I love doing that stuff. No, that's cool, man. And, uh, you know, speaking of the comp, the, like the composing part, um, you know, one of the people that I was able to talk to early on whenever we started talking to composers and everything was, uh, Jim Venable. And so he oh, did the original yeah, Powerpuff yeah. Girls, but I know you had the opportunity to work on when they did the reboot and everything. Right. I wondered if maybe you knew him or had any experience with him no, you know, about talking about like shop about like the show or anything like that. No, no, I, I haven't. And Man, and I, I really should because I really dig him. And I like I dig his work on uh, he scored. Um, Jim also scored Clerks 2. He may have done the first Clerks as well. Yeah. Yeah. He did. He did Clerks 2. Yeah. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. And I just thought that was great stuff. And um, but the Powerpuff thing came. It was such a whirlwind. I was buried I, for three years. Well, for a year, for sure, year and a half, for sure. And then I started slowly climbing out to daylight and then, then it, you know, became more, uh, more palatable, just, just like schedule wise. But, um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to, to really, uh, check in with, with James, but I hear about him through guy. Like, I feel like I know people through other people, but, um, I, here's how I know Jim. I know Jim because, uh, in the new Powerpuff Girls theme that I wrote, uh, it still starts off with that bump, bump, but up, up, which was the original right. Powerpuff hook. That was it was like Jim and a few other guys, and and so you know when it came time to figure out you know how are we going to split that up on the cue sheet for for royalties and all that, we had to do all this math and make sure everybody was covered and. Uh, <laughs> and to make sure everyone gets paid because the you know those guys wrote that little snippet so you know it's like a 22 second or 20 second song and there's that's that's like a two seconds long <laughs> so you have to like subdivide all this stuff but that I just remember seeing Jim's Jim's uh name on there and me going where do I know that name and it was be and I knew the name from clerks 2 from because I love that movie like I love clerks 2 more than I love the first one and uh, and Jim did a great job on that. So, yeah. But I should really meet Jim. If you're listening, we should talk. <laughs> we should we should say hello and meet. I should. I'm gonna get. Maybe I, yeah, I should network. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have. Uh, maybe I'll have Guy introduce us. So so we could uh, actually say say hello. That's funny, man. <laughs> well, I was wondering. Like, uh, I wondered that because you had mentioned that. You know, there are some differences in everything, but yeah. was there something that kind of stuck out to you about that project that maybe, you know, you uh, don't get to talk to talk about very often or anything like that? Um, it was a I've never demoed uh, harder or for a longer period of time than that job because they were looking at so many people. And I was, I was just trying to get in. So it initially started off with a call from, from Bob Boyle, who was one of the executive producers um, on that. It was Bob Boyle and Nick Jennings. And Bob, you know, reached out because they're doing storyboards, right? So Bob is a fantastic artist and creator. And, and so he would, um, he'd be, you know, be in the middle of like creating the show and they have to animate to stuff. So he called me and said, hey, do you want to give a crack at, uh, we need a song. You know, there's some episode where the, there's like a boy band. So they want like a, they want like a realistic, realistic sounding like boy band song. And so uh, I, w I had to like do my NSYNC and Backstreet Boys research <laughs> to, to make sure, <laughs> to make sure I was hitting it, man. And uh and so I did that and it really went off well and everybody really loved it at the network. And so much so that they, they started using it and I didn't have a contract yet, but, but, but it, you know how these things go. You start working on projects long before you have a contract because you're trying to convince people that to have faith in you, that, that you're the guy. And I also knew that they were already working with someone else on, 
or actually a team of people, a bunch of different people for the main title theme. So I didn't, I couldn't, you know, that was kind of out. I didn't really have a, a shot at that yet. And then they asked me for another song for another episode. And I was like, sure. Cause you just say yes. You know, you just say yes. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so then I did that. And then finally I just asked like, Hey, can I, can I throw my hat in the ring? How, what's going on with the main title? What's going on with the, the score? Oh, the score is a little far off. We're not sure what's going on with the main title yet. Um, but, um, it's, you know, we're, we're having a hard time get, get finding what it is that we like. And by we, I mean, so many people at the network. There's so many people that are weighing in that f- have different feelings about what it should be that literally I started demoing and they just ran out of time. I swear. It was like months and months of how about this? How about this? And, and then eventually we, you know, and then, and then even when I jumped on it, they were still reaching out to other people. So now I'm demoing against, I don't know, five, eight other people that are submitting and it just it got a little got a little nuts so um it was just hard it was just really hard and then finally it it got in and then I was able to say okay so now can I demo for the score like I really wanted a complete show I wanted the theme and I wanted the score I wanted to mold the entire you know shape of the the score and right, so right. then, so then start the clock again. Now I'm demoing for the score and they're interviewing other people. And I just had to keep working really hard and convincing them, you know, if I, if I'm on the phone with them and I'm, I'm say, Hey, so what did you think about this track that I did? And they're not digging it. I'm already thinking about another track I can do that they will like. And right on. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like you had, sorry not to cut no, you off, fine. but it sounds like you kind of had a similar experience as Jim because really? he, you know, they kind of him hawed with him. They kind of pitched, uh, they, they had a guy that he talked, he talked about it, um, the same kind of process because mm-hmm. like they had a guy that, that, you know, that they liked that did a, like a, a com- car commercial and they wanted him to demo against Jim and oh, Jim yeah. kind of ended up just kind of, he kind of ended up big dicking him and was just like, dude, like. I'm doing this pitch, so like, I don't know what you need to do, but I'll keep doing it until right. you guys pick my <laughs> shit. Like, so he kind of was just like, "Dude, I I want like I want this, so yeah. like I'm not gonna split split it with anyone else." So I remember it was pretty intense. It man. is intense, and I'll I'll share this because I love sharing the story. So like, I don't know, this is probably 15 years ago. I'm at some composers like workshop and uh, conference, and. <clears throat> Uh, Hans Zimmer's uh, giving this talk and the the place is just packed, you know, and so he's being interviewed and it may have been, he may have been interviewed by Doreen Ross, uh, who's, um, she was, she was the, the queen of BMI for the longest time. I think, I can't, I can't get a beat on if she's still there and involved. I feel like she is. I feel like she is. But um, her and I are due for <laughs> another, another lunch to catch up to. But, um, Doreen's been so helpful, uh, in my life too. Um, but so anyway, so Doreen is interviewing, uh, Hans, I believe. And, and then at the end of it, uh, uh, a kid, you know, inevitably there's the, the question and answer section and some, some very young kid gets up and asks Hans, you know, what, what advice would you give, uh, to a young, you know, composer who's just finishing up college and, really wants to do what you do. And Hans goes, <laughs> Hans goes, if there's anything else you can do, do it. Jesus. <laughs> oh, and I was at the well, time, that's encouraging. Yeah, at the time <laughs> I was like, what a dick, <laughs> you know, but, but now that I've, now that I've been really doing it for this long, I don't fault him at all because it is, it's so difficult. It's when you're starting out, it's literally impossible. You are pursuing something and you are probably going to fail. It's that bad, <laughs> you know, because you have to buy a lot of gear. You have to go into debt when you don't have money to get the tools so that you can see if you have what it takes to make money. It's an enormous risk. But if you really super believe it, 
you have a chance of doing it. It's 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 the Disney thing, man. It's like you know, believe in yourself, and it's I yeah. Mean, it's, it really, <laughs> that it is some like. Is. I mean, think of what Walt Disney went through <laughs> to create Disneyland. He had doors shut in his face all the time, you know. And so so anyway, so just back to that what what you said that Jim said, which is I totally identify with. Which you just have to keep swinging and swinging and swinging, and no one's paying your bills while you're swinging. You're just really working hard and you're just hanging on hope, man, like every step of the way when you're starting out. And so it's, I get it. I, I like hats off to Jim and everyone else who, who doesn't quit, you know? Right on, man. Was that, uh, was that the same time? I, I know you'd mentioned that you had met Hans, uh, and John Powell. Was that at that same time or was that a different point that, in time when you'd met no, those guys? No, that was earlier. That was when, um, that was when, uh, I worked on, I did the sound design for Face Off, the John Travolta, Nick Cage, John Woo film. Right, <clears throat> right, right, right. Gotcha. I think that was my first film full on uh, as, a, as a kind of a big role as a sound designer. And I think it was John Powell's, I think it was either one of his or his very, his first one that was just all him by himself. Um, he may have had other stuff, but I, I seem to remember that being like kind of a, a talking point. Uh, just amongst the sound designers and stuff about John. But uh, yeah, I went, I went to uh, Hans's place at that time. It was called, um, it's called remote control. Now it was called media ventures back then. And, and we, we sat in a room with Hans and it was Hans and Harry Gregson Williams and John Powell. And I think Jeff Rona, It, it was like literally every major composer at his at his place. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we were meeting together to talk about how we're going to handle different, uh, sections of the film. And, uh, so the funny, the funny part about that story is that I had the balls as a sound designer who desperately wanted to do music to bring a CD and ask all those guys in front of all of them, if I could play something. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, man, I, I don't even know if they would remember that. If it was ridiculous, <laughs> if like, I don't, I should have, I should ask them. I mean, Trevor Rabin may have been there. I don't know what, this was 96, 95, 96, something like that. And, and so I played him and I was all psyched because and I thought they're going to love it. Do you know why? Because I just bought this new sample library called Hans Zimmer Guitars, and now I'm gonna play it <laughs> for Hans Zimmer. That's so meta, bro. Yeah, I know. It was, looking back, it was just the balls, man. Like, and just ridiculous. It was just, it was, it was Shit. not only was it ridiculous, it was inappropriate. It was just inappropriate. And oh, I knew when man. I opened my mouth to do it, I knew it was inappropriate. And my sound supervisor, who I love dearly, uh, Mark Steckinger, was was with me. And he was the one I was like, dude, do you think I should do this? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was being totally cool. So it wasn't like I surprised him. But he even he was he was just such a pal. He was like, yeah, sure. Go. Yeah, do it. What a bro. Yeah, man. It's like, you know. And then, and then I had like a brief, <laughs> I had a brief job offer. Like after that, I had a, I actually had a brief job offer from them to go work for them. And, but it was, I think it was the sound designers that worked there that wanted me there. And they were like offering me, you know, you can do sound and music here too, man. And I was like so excited. And I went and I bought a. I bought a Ranger, uh, a white Ranger uh, pickup truck, and I put a lift gate on it so I could haul my racks of gear in and out of, uh, of uh, you know, the studios and you know and all that. And and I and I and I had also like just recently injured my back, so <laughs> so uh, I couldn't be like physically like lifting anything to move it, you know, in and out. So uh, so I had this lift gate that would like you know totally like take care of that, move it back and forth between my, my home studio at my house and then, <laughs> and uh, sound of lux. And, uh, and, uh, and so I got all excited. Like I was gonna, I was gonna have this great gig. I was gonna make all this money. And then what happened? Well, it didn't work out. 
<laughs> it just well, didn't, didn't quite pan out. But uh, hey, away she goes, bro. We on to the next one, you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I I don't I don't I was young and and stupid, but uh, but I, I'm I'm not sorry that I did it because it's it's a good story. It's a funny story. That's fucking insane, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's some balls for sure. I wouldn't. That's I mean, that's shoot your shot. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, when else are you gonna maybe get to talk to Hans Zimmer? Like, fuck. But you know, it could have totally backfired. It could have either been, hey, can I play you something, and have him go. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> they could have said that. Or I could have played it for them and they would have been like, man, that's got to be honest with you. That is the biggest turd that I've ever. <laughs> yeah, we actually don't want you on this movie now. Right. But they were really gracious. They were, they were so sweet. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a fantastic piece of music, but it was, uh, it was like sound designy, soundscapey, you know, I, I mean, it's, it is right, what it man. was for that, for that moment in time but when it was done they they really all had really nice things to say and i don't and i think they were just being super nice <laughs> right was hans like oh those guitars though bro no. <laughs> <laughs> i i recognize how awesome the music is because it's my shit <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about any of this other shit, but those guitars are on yeah, point, yeah. bro. Hans was like, if I would have wrote it, <laughs> that would have been so much better with my writing and my sounds. But, you know, whatever, kid, you know, like I, I could have walked we out are. of there totally heartbroken. So they, you know, thank you, Hans and all you guys, if you ever hear this, for not shooting me down. Because I may have, I may have really just quit. <laughs> <laughs> trying. Oh that man, that's me. hilarious, that really dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. that's funny. Shout out to Hans for sure. Yeah, yeah, those guys are awesome. <laughs> um, well, it was cool talking to you because you had, uh, you know, you you really had some things that you uh, had mentioned to me that were, you know, uh, things that were interesting mm-hmm. that you know have stuck out to you over your career and everything. And so one day, one thing that you mentioned was like. Uh, you had an interesting story about like the Tarzan yell. So I was like, okay, I'll bite on that. What's the story with that? Uh, again, I was working at sound deluxe and I was doing sound and music and Scott Gerson was, was, uh, doing a bunch of uh, sounds for Tarzan for the movie, the sound for Tarzan. And they, they they mentioned, and Oh, and pear Hallberg was the, was the sound supervisor for that. And I think it was pear that maybe came to my door uh, and said, uh, asked me if I wanted to try the Tarzan yell because Disney's looking for a Tarzan yell. Now, normally that stuff would be handled by the voice department at Disney. But I think what had happened is they were running into roadblocks. And again, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, kitchen and at Disney and not nobody really coming together to decide on any one of the ones that they had probably already listened to. And so I went to Scott's room and I... I did it to picture and it was the scene where Tarzan finds the, the dead, uh, the dead cat. Um, and he lifts the cat over his head and he does the, does the yell. <clears throat> and, right. uh, and I did it and, uh, and it got in and, and, uh, and then that's legit. Dude. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's, I'm, I'm on a Phil Collins record. Because at the very end of that, of the very end of that soundtrack, that's the last thing you hear is my yell. On the on the last track of that soundtrack, it's like a reprise of this of the uh, "One World, One Family" song, and uh, so that's pretty cool. And it's also at Disneyland. So if you go to Disneyland and you go to the Tarzan's Treehouse out here in in Anaheim, and you pull the rope and you keep pulling the rope, and it goes through all these sounds, and eventually you'll hear uh, you'll hear the Tarzan yell. That is funny, man. Like the stories that you accumulate over time, like that. Yeah, it, and it's just, it's just being around, you know. It's just being around and having people know, know you, and 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 you know that's Soundalux was a magic, magical place, man. Like there were all this creative talent, and you could walk down the hall and get inspired by something that you weren't even working on, you know, whether it was music or sound or whatever. And uh, it was a really great experience it was hard because it was the first it was my first experience so it was a lot of hours it was like sleeping at the studio and and uh it was it was hard man but but uh i think i hung in there and to to press on and 
show people what I can do, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, well, that the big thing um, that I was really hoping to talk to you about was, you know, obviously this huge, you know, when it ended up being a huge film, mm-hmm. uh, you know, into the Spider-Verse. It was cool mm-hmm. because I had mm-hmm. another guest on that was on the, uh, that got to do some motion capture work on the Spider-Man game, the huge PS4 game oh, that cool. came out. And so that was pretty neat to be able to talk to them about like the that video game and everything. Right. But uh, I was pretty stoked when I saw that you'd worked on that. And mm. so, you know, I kind of want I was kind of interested to hear about like your experience working on that, kind of how that came about, and you know, just kind of overall like your impression and cool. uh, experience like getting to work on that. Well, I mean, I'll start off by saying not not to minimize my contribution, <clears throat> but. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like I was only on that for a month and I worked on one specific set of sounds, which was the, the Spidey senses. Um, oh, that's <clears> cool. So uh, so that's that's really all I did. I mean, you know, there are so many talented people that worked on that. And my contribution was was, like I said, pretty, pretty small. But but I, but it you know, it, it plays, you know, my my sounds play in the film and that's I'm so proud of that and for the the movie to have won an Academy Award for Best Picture which is awesome and I and I'm not saying this just because I worked on it because I'm saying it because I've I I have my ears have led me to a career (laughs) and I I think I have a good set of ears that sound job oh everyone's contribution in that film that sound job the sound design the mix everything and the music that thing should have been nominated for best sound. It should have been nominated for best music. It was, it was, it sounded fantastic. It was one of the most avant-garde and clear sounding uh, film soundtracks that I've ever heard. And, but it's just, it's hard to get people to vote and people, ears are a weird thing, man. It's hard to, Visually, you, people will be like, oh, my God, how to train your dragon. Look at the dragons. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a big <laughs> wow. That looks so it's huge. And when it's on a huge screen, it looks huge. And, you know, our job is music people and sound people is to support the story and support what's going on on screen, what the things you can see. And unfortunately, sometimes that means doing a really stellar sound job that nobody recognizes. And I think, I think, and believe me, like in the community, it, it, it was recognized. We we won a uh, we won a Golden Reel Award for best sound for for that film. So that was great to have our peers, you know, nominating us. That's awesome. It would just be so cool if <laughs> the rest of the world <laughs> could. To take a little time and give us a little love. <laughs> for, right? You know. Yeah, man. But uh, give me some goddamn credit I, here. <laughs> but uh, but man, it was it was a great experience, and I I hadn't done sound design for a feature for a long time. I mean, it's probably been I don't know fifteen years or so since I've worked on anything, and the opportunity came up, and and I jumped at it. But it was it was like relearning some things because it, it, it's a totally different animal than, than writing music. And all I've been doing is writing music for the past 15, 16 years or so. And, uh, right on. Yeah. So it was challenging, but it, it just rem- it reminded me of, you know, when I moved back to LA and didn't know what I was doing. So I had to figure it out all over again and try, and there's new tools, you know, like I had to ask around, like I want to take the, I want to take the, the frequency analysis of this sound and apply it to that sound. But then I also want to be able to control the, the spectrum and, and to mess with the sound and really manipulate it and freak it out. And I had to, <clears throat> had to do what I did at Soundalux, man. I had to like ask around, Hey man, is, I have this really cool idea. I have no idea how to do it. And people would chime in like, Oh, you know what? I think there's a tool, um, that, uh, that does that. Try this, try that, you know? kind of thing and um so yeah so that for me it was just it was cool and also a reprise of how to rethink the sound like like you're in a a laboratory like a mad scientist kind of 
vibe and do record crazy things with your voice and and with instruments and pitch down slow you know record something at 96k and pitch it down uh you know uh, an octave so you still have all that wonderful high end in it and you can do all these wonderful things so it was just fun and then we, we even went to the foley stage and recorded a bunch of crazy sounds uh w- with a bunch of guys to, to try and and it was just cool it's just cool working with people composers have kind of a kind of a sedentary life in a cave <laughs> with with a bunch of screens and 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 flashing right, lights yeah and it was just nice to get together with some brothers and make some cool stuff you know no that's tight man yeah and man like you said like i hate i hate for you to like minimize your contribution because like when it comes down to it like you got to work on this damn you know oscar winning film like that's <clears throat> badass dude yeah, it's awesome. I'm I'm so thankful. Well, yeah, man. I didn't know. Uh, you know, I just kind of was starting to wrap up, but I didn't know if there was anything that, you know, maybe that some fun story or anecdote that maybe you don't really get to talk about very often or anything like that that sticks out to you that you wanted to close with or anything like that. Oh, okay. So there, there's a there, one of the coolest things that ever happened to me was, um, again, I was at Soundlux. And uh, they had a music supervisor, Andy Hill, who was supervising uh, this um, movie called Elmo and Grouchland uh, back in oh, right, yeah. back in the early or late late 90s, I think it was. <clears throat> um, so Andy Hill and then Letitia Rogers, who is a like a amazing wealth of information about world music. Um, between her and, and Bob Batamy, uh, I, I've learned more about world music through the, just those two people. Bob, Bob Batamy is a wonderful music editor, um, and he do, he's done a ton of stuff for Hans and for Junkie XL, you know, Tom Holkenberg. <clears throat> and um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm on I'm, – at the time, I'm working on Godzilla, so I'm doing sound design for, for Godzilla. And the the Matthew Broderick uh, one, the one that no one talks yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, the '98 joint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm doing that, but then there's this opportunity where I'm talking to Andy and Letitia about Elmo, and I'm like, "Hey, can I pitch? Can I pitch a song for Elmo and Grouchland?" And they're like, "Look at kid, <laughs> we're you know we love you, but you know they're reaching out, <laughs> they're reaching out to some really heavy songwriters and." Uh, I don't think it's going to work out. So good luck with Godzilla. <laughs> it's like how it, it's how it felt. Goddamn. Uh, but they, no, no, no. I don't. I'm like I'm being. I'm trying to be funny. They're they are my my homies, like Andy and the right on, yeah. <laughs> but but at the time they were just they were trying to break it to me gently, like oh that's so cute, <laughs> that's so cute that you want to contribute, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, yeah. So I said, well, look, I don't care. I'll just I want to same thing, right? I just want to submit. Let me, can I see the script? Can I, I just want to try it. You don't have to present it. I just want to show you guys what I can do. Even if you don't want to show the director, they're like, okay, well, if you really want to do it. So they gave me the script and they gave me the style guide and I started writing and, uh, and then I demoed. I mean, that was like two months of tons of, maybe even three months of like tons of versions, not sleeping because I'd, I'd work on sound design for Godzilla from like, I don't know, 11 AM till I don't know, 9 PM. And then I'd stay at the studio and I'd work on writing a, a song for, for, uh, for Elmo. So, but at first, uh, when I was telling my wife that I didn't want to work on it because I'm tired of not seeing her and the kids. So I literally told her, don't worry, I'm not doing it. I just decided I'm not going to do it. I'm tired of, like, I got, I got discouraged and just said, you know what? I'm just meant to be a sound designer. I'm just going to do my gig and I'm not, I'm going to stop trying to reach out and change the course of my life, you know? So, so as fate would have it, I go to lunch. We're working, we're working on Godzilla on a weekend and I go to lunch with Scott Gershon on, on Melrose <clears throat> And we're sitting outside and I hear this accordion playing down the street. It's one of those like little tiny, you know, $20 toy plasticky accordions, you know. And so the guy, 
I see this guy making his way up the street. He's, he's just peddling. He's just trying to sell them. And he, he walks up to me and he, he looks, he literally looks at me as if he, from down the street, and his eyes are passing like so many other people looking at me because I'm looking to see where the sound's coming from. And he comes right up to us at our table. We're sitting outside. And, and he, he, he kind of hands it to me like, do you want this? And I, you know, said, yeah, how much? He's like 20 bucks. I'm like, sold, you know. So I'm literally sitting there at the table having just decided I'm not going to work on Elmo. I'm going to work on Godzilla and go home. And I start playing this accordion. And the accordion is very limited. It can't do a lot. It doesn't even have, doesn't even have like piano keys on it. It literally just has buttons. So there's only so many things it can do. So I start messing around with it and I come up with a melody that completely lights me up. I'm so excited about it. And um, so I decide, well, I'm gonna go try this. So I go back to the studio, I finish up Godzilla, call my wife, I'm like, look, <laughs> look, a guy sold me accordion. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta try. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, I gotta try this. So I start, I start messing around. I start writing this, this theme. So, so then it becomes, uh, then it becomes this labor of love and I can't get it in. Uh, then I, I, I present it to Andy and Letitia. They like it so much. They want to present it to the director. The director really likes it, but he wants to change it, but doesn't know how. And this is where composers need to turn into psychologists to figure out what it is that people want that when they can't, <clears throat> when they can't articulate what they want. So I try a bunch of things. I end up eventually calling Greg Matheson, who's a friend and a, an awesome producer, composer in his own right. He, probably his biggest claims to fame that people would know is he produced a lot of Donna Summers hits, but he also did, he, I think he wrote and produced the Tony Basil's, Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah for sure. <clears throat> and so, and I had been, and I love his music and I, I played with his brother in college and, and I was just a big fan of his. So I called him up and so he came to the studio and he brought in, uh, Tommy Funderburk, who's a great, uh, vocalist and to, to sing it, to help sell it. And I just learned, I worked with Greg Matheson, man. And I watched him sh show me how to record and get this thing going. I, cause I didn't know what to do. And he just helped really simplify the song with me. And, and produce a strong demo with me. And, and, but then we kept getting pushback from Sony <clears throat> because Sony wanted Sony artists to record the song and to write and to, to write, compose the songs for the film. There was like 10 songs in that movie. And <clears throat> so we kept being told, no, we're going to, we're, we're not going to be able to do it. And they, and they had some really heavy songwriters. They had Saida Garrett who wrote uh, man in the mirror, with Michael Jackson and they had, uh, and Graham Ravel, who was the score, the, the composer for the score. And they're reaching out to all these people and trying to, trying to get something that, that, that they would like better, that the Jim Henson people would like better than my song that Sony would like as well. And it would be a Sony artist. So it just, it went on for months of back and forth and me trying and, and Greg trying all these different versions, same thing, same thing like Powerpuff. And <clears throat> so I, I'm like, I'm losing hope. I'm like, I've lost all hope. I don't think it's going to get in. There's too many, there's, there's too much politics. I'm nobody. It's not going to work out. And so I'm at Sound Deluxe one day and I, and I hear, um, I hear the intercom come up and it's like, uh, you know, Mike Reagan line one. So I pick up the phone and it's Andy Hill and he's at the hit factory in New York recording the, the soundtrack for Elmo and Grouchland. And he goes, He's like, hey, Mike, hey, man, there's somebody here who wants to speak with you. And, uh, and, he, and he, uh, he, hands, he hands the phone over, and I hear, I hear this. I hear this. Hello, is this Mike? And I... Oh, my God. I go, I go Elmo? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Elmo. And I go, like, Elmo. Oh, my God, <laughs> Elmo. And he goes, he's like, he goes, he goes, he goes, hi. He goes... He goes, guess what? Guess what? And I'm like, what? He goes, your song's in the movie. Yay! And I'm like, and I, and I hear, and I hear like the whole <laughs> cast, like all the Henson people are, are there because they're doing all the voices for the Muppets. And, 
and they all, I hear them all cheering in the back because they really wanted my song in the film. That's badass, dude. And then, Damn. And then I talked to, you know, it's Kevin Clash, you know, it's, uh, the voice of Elmo and I, uh, at the time, and I, I was like, Elmo, you're the bomb. And he's like, no, you're the bomb. And like, we, just, we had this like little moment where we went back and forth. <laughs> and he's like, okay, here's Andy. <laughs> so he like, has me back to Andy. And it was just the most, that was just, I was crying. Like I, I was crying. I was like on the phone with Andy. I couldn't believe it, you know? And, uh, and that that's always that's always stuck with me. How what what a what a beautiful um, just what a beautiful generous spirit that that uh, all those people had, and Kevin Clash and the voice of Elmo and Andy and Letitia and everybody that just was really they really want they everybody wanted that song. Not everybody, but a, a lot of people wanted that song, and and then it got in. I don't know what I don't know how. What what tipped the scales? Maybe they maybe they just ran out of time. <laughs> They're like we people are demoing. For, <laughs> you ran the clock yeah, out on them. Like, okay, we, if we're gonna release this film, we got to pick a song. And okay, fine. You know, maybe it was that. I don't know. But that song, so that soundtrack, that won a Grammy. So th- yeah, that was, I saw that. That's right? badass, dude. So I mean, I didn't I didn't personally win the Grammy, but I wrote a song. This the soundtrack won a Grammy. So. It, that that's that's just one of my favorite stories. It's like it's like it's like meeting Walt Disney or, uh, you know what I mean? Like a, like a like a hero from when you were a kid. And 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 this is why this yeah. that's what, this is why this was spe- specifically like special, is that our daughter Erin, her her whoopee, her her favorite little comfort doll was a little Elmo, and it, and it was since since she was an infant. So it was, there was all these ties that kind of, it just all made sense, you know, like you didn't see it when you were working on it, but when it all came around, it all made sense. And you were just sitting there going, I can't believe this, this happened to me. So that's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Stories. That's badass, yeah, dude. Thanks. No, for sure. That's, that's super legit, thanks, man. man. Like that's such a cool opportunity. And like, just the fact that they called you and stuff and like took the time to talk to you about it. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Mike, man, I, I sure appreciate you taking the time. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can follow you, like on social media, your website, find projects that you're working on, oh, cool. stuff like that. Um, well, let's see. You can, you, my website is uh, www.mikereganmusic.com. So R-E-A-G-A-N is how you spell my last name. Um, or you can go to YouTube and type in Mike Reagan. If you if you go to YouTube and you type in, you'll find me easier if you type in Mike Reagan Michael Jackson, and not because I can dance like him, but because <laughs> because I did. I have a channel on there, and one of the things that I did was do a cover of um, of Human Nature on acoustic guitar, <clears throat> and that's the easiest way to find me. So you can go check that out. Um, plus, there's other stuff on there, like I did. I did a, a mashup. I also did like a, a, a "Don't Stop Believing" tribute to uh, to Steve Perry and Journey because I was was listening to, to Journey one, or listening to Steve Perry interview about his new record. This was like when did I do this? Two months ago, and and I was just I was recalling a time I was at a party and I met him and what a sweet guy he was. And I was you know we were wondering if he was ever going to get back into music because at that point he wasn't sure and. And it's a great interview with him too, because he it took it took a friend, a good, wonderful friend of his, getting cancer and battling that, to 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 to, to bring him back into into music. So it just Damn. it really touched my heart. And so, I did this like vocodery solo thing, uh, with that, and uh, yeah, there, and and the, there's just different things of me playing guitar, and and I whenever I get some time to do something fun, I just upload it to YouTube or. And then I put a link on my site usually and like that. But, um, and then I guess on social media, I don't know, man, I, I'm not a big social media. I mean, I'm on it, but on Twitter, I'm, I think I'm Mike Reagan music on Twitter, but I'm just like, I'm so political. That's like my, that's like my political rant stuff, but, uh, I got you. but uh, not completely, but that's what that's what Twitter is. And uh, 
but then I'm on Facebook too, Mike Reagan composer on on Facebook, and I promise I will be better at uh, talking about upcoming projects and and things like that. I'm working on something now that uh, will come out on Netflix in 2020 that's unannounced, so I can't uh, talk about it yet. But as that takes shape, you know, I'll, I'll be dropping some hints and, and cool clues and things on those. Um, but that's uh, that's about it, man. That's that's what I got. Yeah, what, very cool, man. Yeah. I, well, thanks again, like I said, to, for taking the time. Um, and, you know, really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. This was awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, it's cool to hear about, like, you know, your career and everything that's, you know, everything you've been able to do. And, yeah, and you know, it's just inspiring to hear, you know, that you just keep the, keep grinding it the hell out, man. man. Thanks. Like, that's the way to do Thank it. Thank you. And thanks for being interested. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, we, for sure. we spend a lot of time alone, man, <laughs> in, the, in the studio. Is anyone <laughs> listening out there? You know. <laughs> No, I got so, you, dude. I got yeah, you. Thank you, man. Well, as always, guys, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you, man. <laughs>